Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Boys and girls, this is the Undisputed Era. Adam Cole, Kylo Riley, Roderick Strong, and you're listening to Going In Raw, baby. Hey guys, this is Charlotte, and you're watching Going In Raw. Going In Raw. That sounds terrible. What's up, it's your girl, Sasha Banks, Legit Foster, and you are watching Going In Raw. You like that? Hey, friendo, Steve here. And Larson. And welcome back to Going In Raw. Going In Raw View. That's right. Today is uh, that time of the month, Larson, where we take a look uh, at the past. Yeah. At an old pay-per-view. Yes. Uh, and uh, and we give our thoughts about it. Of course, this past Friday, uh, we did, or yesterday, I guess, we did our uh, watch party yeah. for WrestleMania 9. Oh, wow. Chosen by, uh, we, we provided three options for our $10 and up chosen a month patrons. You. What's that? Chosen by them. You. You. We offered up. Uh, Not mo- us. You. Perhaps one of the most important pay-per-views, uh, one of the most important WrestleManias, rather, because it's WrestleMania season. Uh, we offered up three uh, six and then nine. Yeah. So like one of the most important, allegedly one of the best Hogan versus warrior. And then, uh, the worst, the absolute worst nine. And, uh, I don't know, man, I'm glad we watched nine instead of two because two is also known as an eight is also known as a really bad one. I've seen eight. Eight's not terrible. Yeah. Eight well, you're also a, a big fan of Sid. Yeah. Sid's great. Uh, but also that, 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 uh, mania had a uh, macho man versus flair. Yeah. For the title. Yeah. It's a good match. Nine. Of course, uh, of course, Bruce Pritchard thought it was either eight or nine was the worst. Yeah, yeah. But what does he know? What does he know? He was only there you know where where Hogan was wrestling after he won this title. Yeah, he was pretty confused about that. We did. Oh, uh, yeah, we actually did. Well, the amount of research we did on WrestleMania nine included listening to something to wrestle with Bruce well, Pritchard. That's the full extent of it. <laughs> exactly. That's what we did. We did that exactly. Uh, but uh, it's it's a wealth of knowledge. A lot of interesting little tidbits there that will. Yeah, it fleshed out some of the backstory of, of mm-hmm. what happened before the show. To led, which led to the show we had, because um, a bit of a mess. So apparently this time WB, uh, WBF, sorry, was hit with some injury issues. Yeah, um, Flair was gone by this point. Macho Man either did it or did not want to be an active competitor anymore, depending right. on whose perspective is is true. He either wanted to do a long program with Shawn Michaels, or, or he wanted to less work less dates and get in the comment commentary. Yeah, but then he went to WCW anyways and wrestled for almost ten more years. So. Who yeah, knows? so like this is obviously sort of the end. Like, if you take a look at WrestleMania, this is the beginning 9, of the end of Hulkamania and WWF. 
and I mean, just the end, like, and it's 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 definitely definitely sort of a dead horse at this point. The golden age of Hulkamania, of yeah. rock and wrestling, whatever you want to yeah. call it, um, that you know kicked things are that, that sort of kicked off with WrestleMania one. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at this point, if you look at if you look ahead at WrestleMania ten. You know, you obviously have a, a big change of the guard. You got guys like Luger and Hart and uh, Yokozuna uh, main eventing. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, of course, you got Shawn Michaels and Razor Ramon mm-hmm. um, putting together a lot of the stuff that you, you sort of see the seeds of here. Owen Hart with a, a larger, more prominent position within the company as well. Right, exactly. So, you know, and then, of course, obviously, what's what's most notable about the next WrestleMania is who's missing, you know. Yes. No Hogan, no Macho Man, no yes. this, no that, the yeah, other yeah, one. yeah, yeah. Um, no beefcake, no million dollar man. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, this was definitely a transitionary time, uh, as illustrated in the in the Something to Wrestle podcast as well. Uh, in terms of their business as well, yes, lots of changes in sort of the TV landscape. One one of the more interesting things that uh, Pritchard was talking about was just how much uh, infomercials, because uh, I distinctly remember. Oh yeah, totally. But I, I didn't know they charge. They pay six thousand dollars an hour. <sighs> yeah. That must be a, a bunch of stuff Ronco sold <laughs> to get that money back. <laughs> right, yeah. Man. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. But he, they go into to detail how ever since pretty much WrestleMania 5, year after year, attendance, gross receipts, all that mm-hmm. on the downward trajectory. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I don't know if the, it, it, the, way that the way it was framed in something to wrestle with, it, it, this wasn't the low point from a financial perspective. But it definitely seemed to be the kind of a low point from a creative perspective. It was a low point from a creative perspective, and also it was obviously a moment of a massive reluctance on the part of Vince McMahon. You know, he was he was dragged out of the the golden age of wrestling, kicking and screaming. Mm. That's what it's kind of it, it's kind of obvious. It kind of still feels that way. It's it's like he's he's being dragged into the modern age. Uh, kicking and screaming yeah, right now. Yeah, I mean, because ever since the decline of, of Hulkamania, it seems like every few years he has it in his brain that he can manufacture the next face of the company. Yeah. You know, because after Hogan, it was Diesel. Mm-hmm. He's going to be the guy. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter if he can wrestle a lick. Yeah. We'll put him out there in, 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 in prominent positions. Oh, he's get, gaining a following. He's the new the guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Uh, uh, well, there was also Luger. He thought that Luger Luger might've. for a second. Yeah. But, I mean, Diesel is one they really kind of pulled the trigger on to mm-hmm. try to make the face the company had the belt for a year. It seemed like they were setting up uh, Rocky Maivia to be that as well. Crowds dumped all over. Wisely, yeah. they turned him heel, and he's one of the greatest most popular WWE superstars of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, more recently, Roman Reigns. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not a fan of, of, of developing anything organically. Probably because he thinks, well, back in 1984 or whatever, I brought this guy in who had wrestled a few matches for me, put the, the, the belt on him, and then my wrestling company was the biggest wrestling company the world had ever seen. Why can't yeah. I just do that again? Yeah, yeah. Well, the, things were a lot different in 1984. When Hogan won that title. Yeah. A lot and, different. And things were changing quite a bit in 1993 as well. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah. I mean, look, here's the thing. And a couple of people noted this during our watch party, which was a lot of fun. And thanks, everybody. Yes. For, thank you, everybody. For coming for, out to for that. Joining in. Um, that this this I will say this about this show. I am a fan of good wrestling. I am actually a fan of bad wrestling. I cannot stand boring wrestling. This was not boring. It was just really bad. Yeah, it was really and bad. And to me, that there is still entertainment, especially when, and this is what people noted in the stream, 
when you're there with a bunch of people mm-hmm. all watching it in tandem, mm-hmm. it can be a lot of fun. It's like yeah. watching a really bad movie together. Yeah. You know, just it, you don't want it to be boring. And that was sort of the I've never watched WrestleMania, too. I know you've said that you've tried to and it's very. Oh, very I've seen boring. it. No, I've seen it before. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, like since you were a little kid, though, have you seen it in, like the last five years? <laughs> no, not in the last five years. Right. But you I mean, you sort of inherently know it's, it's just even really as a boring. kid. I knew the main event was dull and boring. OK, then, you know, it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and this was not that. There was a lot of weird, funny, dumb, bad, bad things going on, uh, including the fact that it was um, Roman-themed. Yeah, the, the the venue was the Caesar, at Caesar's Palace. I don't know if this was a, a, a arena or a stadium they had, or if it's something they built specifically for the show. Yeah, I have no idea. I don't know either. It was, was 16,000 people was yeah. the number. I think there is something there, because I think they've had boxing events there and such yeah. in the past. Yeah. Um, yeah, decent turnout. Um, and the Pritchard podcast, we're talking a lot about how there was a lot of uh, 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 casino buys for the show. Mm-hmm. You know, because I guess that's something that what casinos would do for for the major fights. They'd buy a bunch of the best tickets and then invite some of their uh, uh, VIPs, high rollers, yeah, um, out, comp them tickets in a room with the expectation they'll drop, you know, several if not hundreds of G's mm-hmm. at the tables. Gambling. Even if that's the case, though, I mean, the crowd was actually pretty hot. There was a cu- there was like one couple sitting uh, towards hard cam ringside that I don't think they moved once during the entire show. Interesting. I noticed. Yeah. Right by the aisle. They just sat there. How could they not know they're a piece of wrestling history? They're witnessing history. I guess. Show kicked off with Gorilla Monsoon introducing the show in a toga. Yeah. He threw to the debuting Jim Ross. Yeah, it's JR's first uh, show. Working mm-hmm. for the WWE. And he, he, in his very first show, at some point... He said slobber knocker. He introduced the term slobber knocker. And uh, he didn't ask him, what is a slobber knocker? What, what word did you just say? I didn't hear what response he gave. I didn't either. I didn't either. Anyways, pageantry continued because uh, Caesar and Cleopatra were brought into the arena. Raw gate technology existed even back in 1993. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, next, Macho Man. What do you call those things? Those Are they called hand cars? No, I thought that isn't the hand. No, it's a ricket. Is the ricket same thing as a hand car? What's the thing where you hold on to and you run? Oh yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, maybe, maybe is it's not a called ricket? a ricket. No, that's not a ricket. A rickshaw. Oh, what's a rickshaw? No, that's a rickshaw. Oh, that's a rickshaw. Yeah. Okay, ricket. I just made that up. Rickets like it. Rickets is a, a affliction of some sort. Oh no, oh dear. But I don't, then what's the uh, those those things called? They're platforms. We they either there's some sort of throne or chair, or in Macho Man's case here, some sort of like a chaise lounge. <laughs> that is uh, carried by hand by, again, in this case, four very muscular dudes. I'm sure somebody written has written a review where they use the term macho man carried in on A, and I'm going to see what they have to say here. Uh, let's see here. Well, there's WrestleMania 9. Uh, this, well, right here, the Wikipedia entry just says, uh, while he rode on a couch carried by guards. It was not a couch. Well, it was a couch with handles on it. Anyways, we're... That's a lot of time we're spending talking about whether this thing, what this thing was called. Anyways, he enters the arena. He's being fed grapes. He seems perfectly happy. Uh, JR does a brief interview with Macho Man. He's at the commentary booth for this show, not actively wrestling. Uh, next, Bobby Heenan enters the arena riding backwards on a camel. Yeah. It's a great big, comedic effect. Big uh, goofball entrance for Bobby Heenan. 
And of course, you know, everything after that is just a one giant pratfall. He gets off the camel and he starts pratfalling everywhere. And of course, you see his chonies, his undies. You see his blue underwear, which matches his blue toga. Yeah. Uh, it, it's all very funny. Yes. I love Bobby Heenan. Oh, he's, he's great. the best. Yeah. Show kicks off in the ring with Intercontinental Champion Shawn Michaels, who apparently was just returning from a separated shoulder, uh, taking on Tatanka. So um, he was still in the midst of his undefeated streak. Uh, beyond the confusing finish, this was a decent match. Yeah. Well, it's got Shawn Michaels in. Of course, it'd be a decent match. But Tatanka, he really couldn't keep. It, honestly, it, like, yeah, it's a good match because Shawn Michaels, everything he does is awesome. Uh, but you could also see that it was obvious that he was, he was, they should have just done like Michaels versus perfect here, you know? Give Lex Luger Tatanka. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, don't worry. They had a match later on in their careers. Uh, Lex Luger and Tatanka? Yeah. What is that from? Oh, that was like the last Summer thing that Lex Luger did, wasn't it? Four ish, I want to yeah, say. Yeah, that was like the last thing he did. Yeah, I think. at some point in '94, they had a feud. So uh, that involved uh, DiBiase in, in some way because he was the manager at that point. It was so obvious that HBK was just slowing himself down to a great degree for it to time. There's a, that one spot, kind of like the victory roll spot, that was kind of clunky, and it mm-hmm. seemed like yeah, HBK was kind of going in slow motion. A there little was bit. a lot of like uh, rest holds mm-hmm. and Tatanka milling about. I will say this though, I don't remember Tatanka having such a Heavy hand with those chops. Yeah, Man. no, he had a good chop. Some he had a good chop. With those chops. I just feel like you know he does his um, Native American inspired uh, sort of entrance where he has to do a lot of cardio stuff, and I feel like that's kind of all he had to offer in terms of cardio. Like he really did have a lot in the tank there, and it kind of showed because you're just used to HBK. He that dude can go, 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 mm-hmm. and it's obvious the other guy couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but no, beyond that, I mean HBK can even turn that. Into a fun match, and, yeah, and that's what fun. he did here. Um, some decent back and forth, a lot of chops. One point, uh, Tatanka no sells, I believe, a drop kick from Shawn Michaels. Does his version of the Hulk out, yeah. Um, even points at HPK. He, he nails Michaels with a flurry of chops and then hits a top rope crossbody. Michaels flash out, yeah. Um, and then uh, HPK goes for his own top rope crossbody. Tatanka catches him. Drops him with a power slam. That was a good move. Yeah. Um, HBK goes for a fun splash off the apron. Tatanka moves. So HBK, kind of his head, the, the idea was head hit the ring steps. Um, and then he pulls the ref out of the ring, Michaels does, after they're brawling it outside for a little bit. Yeah, so here comes the finish. Um, back in the ring, Tatanka hits a Samoa drop. The which, ref calls for which the belt. Is the second thing that JR incorrectly identified as a fallaway slam. During this match. Yeah. <laughs> During this particular match. One was first thing was an electric chair move, and then <laughs> Smo drop. He said a fallaway. Um, ref calls for the bell, and we're like, okay, well, Michaels was DQ'd for pulling the ref out. Yeah, put his No, hands on the ref. apparently there's a count out at some point. That was weird. I don't think they're outside the ring for 10 seconds. No, they were I didn't see anybody counting. No. No, the ref clearly has to get to ten in order to call it a count out. Sure enough, Finkel said winner by count out. Yeah, like the yeah, Finkel said count out and then commentary tried to sell it as a count out too. I feel like of the two parties, Michaels and Tatanka, Tatanka was the last one in the ring. Yeah, I know. Yeah. So how is it a count out? Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Zero sense whatsoever. Anyways, there was it's funny because just getting back to HBK a little bit, there is so I mentioned this during the stream. There are so many moves that we see him. And even like the Steiners to a degree, guys who are ahead of their time. Yeah. These moves that they pull off that the other wrestlers are like still trying to figure out how to even sell them. 
HBK does like a off the like the top like a sunset flip. Yeah, it's a victory roll thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, 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 that's okay. Yeah, and that was yeah, Tatanka like gets he, he like he doesn't get between the legs. He gets like off to the side. She didn't make any sense. And he rolls more on the shoulder and then mm-hmm. yeah. back. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's always fun to see that because you know these days uh, so many wrestlers. You know, if you look at for example the Young Bucks, like they obviously are heavily influenced by HBK. Like mm-hmm. a lot of people these mm-hmm. days, it used to be Flair. Like HBK's generation, they were influenced by Flair. And you now this generation is influenced by HBK. Yeah, and so it's it's fun to see the moves that guys these days you literally take for granted at every like indie show or Ring of Honor or whatever, even WWE, whatever. You know, because these guys just know how to do it so crisply mm-hmm. and they make it look so easy. Mm-hmm. And then but back when it was these kinds of moves were being pioneered, these old, you know, these wrestlers, they just some of them are just clunky. Yep. You know, they just don't know how to do it. Yep. It's great. Uh, after the match ended, uh, Luna Vachon, who was uh, uh, HBK's manager, mm-hmm. valet. It was her debut also. Yeah. Uh, pulls Sensational Sherry, who was HBK's former valet, mm-hmm. off the apron, hits her with a clothesline and a power slam. There were several instances where Luna looked like she was gonna, you know, walk around ringside to get involved in the action. Sherry would get in between her and and Tatanka. Um, I don't remember how that story played out. Um, after that, Mean Gene, he was the best. Backstage interviewing the Steiner brothers. This was their WWE debut. Yeah. Pay per view debut, at least. Yeah, I had never. I I had. I mean, I imagine I have seen Scott Steiner promos that predated his his time as a Big Papa Pump. But if I did, they never really stood out to me. Um, watching uh, Scott Steiner, the seeds for Big Papa Pump were just oh, totally there, clearly man. there. Yeah, they were just clear because it's so weird to think that this is only seven and a half years away from. I'm sorry, four and a half years away from Big Papa Pump. Yeah, because roughly. it feels like a lifetime before that. It feels like ten years before then. Like you know, especially because he had that big old mullet going. Yeah. Um, but so yeah, he they just had to up the 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 the, uh, the tone of his voice a little bit to make mm-hmm. it a little more high pitched and yeah. totally big pop a pump. Yeah. Um, at the end, uh, Rick Steiner says they're going to go make Julius Caesar proud win this match. Possible he's dead. Yeah, uh, yeah, has been for a very long time. Yeah, so I don't know how they can do that. Can't. <laughs> uh, so the match, the Head Shrinkers taking on the Steiners. Of course, the Head Shrinkers, including a very young Rikishi. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, this was a fun match, hard hitting. This was a physical, fun, pretty awesome match. This mm-hmm. was a really awesome tag team match. Um, which, yeah, there was some like stiff, like those Steiner clotheslines. Steiner lines. They are so stiff and fun to watch when people are selling them. That's why they get their own name. Yeah, Steiner lines. Steiner lines. I'd never actually heard that before. Oh yeah, they used to say that in WCW. Yeah, I don't pay attention. Um, man, they look really great though. They you remember awesome. Tony Schiavone saying Steiner line? I honestly don't. Wow. No. Well, all right then. He was like 20 years ago, so. I figure some things are just indelibly etched in your brain. <laughs> well, that's not one of them. Nothing Tony Schiavone said was ever going to be. Are you sure? To my brain. We got to go. Robin Hood is next. Is not forever etched in your mind. Yeah. Okay, that's a good one. And also so, the butts and seats line. Yes. Yeah. Uh, early on, this was looked like it could have gone bad really quickly. Uh, both the Steiners go on the top rope. Uh, <laughs> With not their feet didn't look terribly steady. No, but they did manage to hit double top rope Steiner lines on the head shrinkers. So wait a second, does it? So the Steiner line is, is a clothesline from a Steiner. Okay, so it's simply a clothesline delivered by a Steiner. Yes. Okay. All right. With the force that only a Steiner can deliver it. 
That's really the key. Do they have like the? Is it just like the, the clothesline from hell is just a clothesline? Yeah. But when JBL delivers it, it's, it's from, from hell. hell. Yeah, which doesn't make sense because he was not a supernatural character. Not at all. I do know that much. Yeah. Yeah. Although, uh, was that move dubbed during his uh, days as an acolyte? Because there was supposed to be some sort of supernatural oh, business with them, and therefore it would have made some semblance of sense. I don't know if it was after APA split off from, because I think once they split off from the ministry, they were no longer supernatural characters. No, not not at all. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it would have had to have been dubbed, I would think. Because I don't see time. him calling it clothesline from hell when he was a cowboy. Yeah. With Barry Windham. That made any sense. When he was a blackjack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. I don't know either. There was one scary spot during this match. When, which you had looked down and you were right. I missed, notes. I missed the tumble. Yeah, man. Scott Steiner. He like, he like, I don't know, man. He just rushed at Rikishi or uh, Samu Samu and like took a tumble right out of the ring. And it was like, looked like it was right on his head. I don't know. It just looked ugly. There's a lot of ugly in this match, but it was all very cool. It was like watching a bar fight. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, yeah, Scott Steiner flies out of the ring and then, uh, Offa, who was the head shrinkers manager, uh, destroyed him with one of the long stick pole type things that the head shrinkers walked down the ring with. Yeah, yeah. And it it, it sounded like you know like a the, the the kind of rattle of a kendo stick, like a kendo stick, yeah. But more so because it was larger. Yeah, it was great because Scott Steiner takes a tumble over the t- over the I think it was like over the second rope, and then takes a gets bashed <laughs> and in immediately. His back. Like he's like, oh god, I'm probably concussed. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Samu misses a flying headbutt. Um, Oh, Scott, after that, is in the match for seemingly 10 minutes. Yeah, he's in there forever. And, like, most of the time he's, like, doing an army crawl, trying to get to the hot tag. And then, like, he gets stood up, move, and then he gets a move off. And then before he can go back and get a tag. Head shrinkers get the advantage. They get, like, a super kick on him or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. He finally gets the hot tag to Rick. Um, Rick puts forth some offense. but Doles out some Steiner lines. Steiner lines, yeah. Then he eats a double skull-crushing finale from the head shrinkers. Um, head shrinkers go for some sort of doomsday device type move. Um, Rick catches, I think it's Samu, and then does the power slam off of uh, Rikishi's shoulder, similar to what uh, Kazarian did at All In. Yeah, it was rad. Again, very clunky and ugly, yeah. but it looked really cool. Yeah, when Kazarian did it, it was way smoother. Yeah. At yeah. All In against one of the Briscoe brothers. In the end, Scott comes back in. He hits a Frankensteiner on Samu. Steiners get the win. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the WrestleMania debut <coughs> might have been their only WrestleMania as a tag team. They weren't. Yeah, in they were only in there for a second. They weren't on WWF very long. Yeah, um, that was one of the more interesting bits too the, about the Pritchard podcast is that they mentioned that he had pitched him and somebody else had pitched pitched to Vince mm-hmm. the idea of breaking up the Steiner brothers to bring Scott Steiner in to win the Royal Rumble and to be WWF champion. Yeah, his debut. Yeah, essentially, that would have been uh, interesting. To say yeah, because. Let me ask you this. Here's an interesting situation. What if they did this? What if they brought him in, wins the Rumble, and then he wins the title? From Brett. Because it would have been from Brett. Okay, from Brett. But that's pre-WrestleMania. What about this? What if Scott Steiner walks into this WrestleMania with the title? All right. And Vince lays out the same scenario that he had for Brett. Oh, what do you think Scott Steiner's reaction would have been? Well, he would have lost his mind. <laughs> he would have rolled over in his grave. Yeah, that would have been something else. Yeah, You're that bringing would, Hogan in here? That would not have gone You're down well. You're bringing Hogan in here? That would not have gone down well. I don't think so, Vince. 
And then he shoot beats up everybody. Yeah, probably. Because <laughs> Yoko's nothing but a fat ass. Fat bastard. Fat ass. Next, <laughs> Doink. He had an interview. I feel like Doink, like if Matt Bourne could have done what he really wanted to do with Doink, it would have been uh, Jack Nicholson's Joker. Yeah, it probably And it would probably been pretty, been pretty cool. cool. I know, I but know. It really felt kind of watered down. There was a lot of darkness brewing within that character that was teased, but I feel like it could have even gone gone way further. Who's it, was it wasn't it, trying to be a family-friendly fr- product. Was it Gacy that used to get in the clown suit? Yeah. Yeah, man. He, they, they, Matt Bourne, he had sort of a Gacy vibe to him, dude. Yeah, a little bit seemed off. A little off. A little messed up. His teeth was a little yellow. Mm-hmm. A little messed up. Mm-hmm. It was good, though. I liked it. Yeah, an interview. And those flowers, he shot uh, Gene with some water. Crush was, uh, of course, the 90s equivalent to generic creator wrestler. Yeah. Uh, nothing really uh, special about him. Except the, the, the color palette he chose for his ring gear. Was the most 90s. Pretty 90s. Like a bright coral, purple and yellow. Goldenrod, actually. Like, who's it? Like coral. Like, I don't even know. It was coral, really bright coral, but kind of like almost a pastel purple. Coral color. I'm going to see if you're right about this because I think you're right. Oh, my God. Look at that. That is coral right yeah, man. there, man. I know my colors, dude. That's good. Like, it looks like candy. I know. I just want to eat it. Um, so he walks to the ring, Brian <laughs> Adams. And they, they did like a little video package before where Doink had a fake arm that Crush grabbed. No, that Doink removed from his body and then started oh, yeah. beating Crush up with it. Yeah. And so that was their backstory. Yeah. Uh, we saw a pile driver. In this match, so that was cool. Doink hit a pile driver on Crush. It wasn't cool, man. Crush didn't know how to take it apparently because he's no. Like, that's how they took it back then. Everybody no, took it man, like that back I've then. I've seen it back in the early '80s when they just they tuck and they take it on their shoulders and man, everything's he, fine. He believes in the power of his trapezius, man. Dude, you got to tuck on the pile driver, man. That dude took it square on his head. He took it on the crown of his head, man. <laughs> and then he looked, he he looked, looked messed dazed. up. He looked a little dazed from the end. <laughs> he looked nauseous afterwards. He rolls out of the ring. He's like, you know what? Oh. It, might, it might have just been hot out there because Hogan looked nauseous several oh. times during this pay-per-view, too. Um, Doink goes for something off the top rope. I'm not sure what he's trying to do. Crush gets his boot up. Um, again, Doink goes to the top rope, jumps off. Crush catches him, takes him, and then drops him with a power slam. Mm-hmm. And then Crush's finisher was called the Kona Crush. Where he would just try to smash someone's head. Just like this. But yeah. then, like, Doink just, like, walks up to the rope and puts his foot on it. Like, yeah, he no. Care. He needs to crush and employ some sort of grapevine or something with that to keep the person grounded while he's trying to crush their head. Terrible finisher. You ever seen Strange Brew? No, actually, I have you not. You should check it out. Max von Sydow is a villain in it. Oh, I love Max and von And that's, like, Sydow. his finisher, too. He uses the Kona Crush, but he's not oh. a wrestler. You know, he's lightning superpower, but he'll go behind, like, the, when the people who work from the brewery for him. He goes behind him and tries to crush his head. Oh, wow. Kona Crush. So it's a legitimate finisher, Steve. Did Max von Sydow, did he finish off anybody with the Kona Crush? I think so. Well, that's more than I can say for Crush. Uh, But, yeah, Doink gets the ropes, but there's a ref bump. Um, Crush puts Kona Crush on Doink again, and then a second Doink enters the ring. Other Doink enters. Doink 2. He has the fake arm. He destroys Crush with it first across the back, then over the head. Um, both of the doinks do like a mime routine. Yeah. And then doink two exits. Doink one pins Kona. Oh, sorry, Crush gets the win. <laughs> no, Kona Reeves was not in this pay-per-view. And then, uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was... that was, that was So the first two matches were actually kind of fun. Yeah, right. This match was not fun. 
It was slow. It was plodding. It was clumsy. It took the crowd completely out of the show. Yeah, Crush. He was a very plodding wrestler. Mm-hmm. Like here's the thing. I'm not. I'm not. I won't even pin the the crapness of this match on 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 Doink. I pin it on Crush, man. How generic can you get? It's not good. That dude's still alive, isn't he? Brian Adams is he alive or dead? I'm not sure. He I think, was. He I was think Team Bra- Chronic. Right? Yeah, I think Brian Clark passed away. Yeah, Brian. I'm not sure about Brian Adams. Adams wrestler. I have to make sure I specify wrestler, otherwise and not I'm gonna get musician. The yeah, musician. All for one. one all for all. all for love. Oh uh, uh, no. Yeah, he died in 2007. He died 12 years ago. What about Brian Clark? Let's find out now. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because, you know, if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Uh, let's see here. Why do that next? Todd Pettengill was up in the crowd. And uh, there was a, uh, a cameraman from Japan. And he asked him, what do you think of the show so far? What do you think of Vegas? Brian Clark is alive. Oh, I got him mixed up. Sorry. Good for him. Adam Baum. Yeah, I knew one member. Adam Baum lives. One member of Chronic had passed away. Yeah. Uh, Todd Pettengill talked to a, a Japanese cameraman. Yeah, he says, uh, "What do you, uh, did you see a second doink or was it an illusion? Why were they pushing that angle? I don't know. It's weird. That's, it's obviously two separate people in there. What kind of illusion are you talking about? Clearly two different doinks. Because the second doink had like full makeup on. Yeah. Didn't look anything like uh, Matt Bourne. No. No. Yeah. Well, they were roughly the same height than Bill, though. Well, yeah. But it was a different guy. Yeah, totally. Um, and then he asked, what does uh, the cameraman think of uh, Las Vegas? And the cameraman said, Las Vegas, number one. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, after that, we had, oh, man, Razor Ramon. The best. Why, why did we only get three minutes of Razor Ramon in this whole pay-per-view? I know. We should have got 20 minutes of Razor Ramon and three minutes of Money, Inc. versus Hogan and Beefcake. <laughs> Razor Ramon versus Bob Backlund. Um, yeah, Bob Backlund fought in this match. Apparently, according to the Pritchard Podcast, also Vince just had a soft spot for Bob Backlund, so he put him on a pay per view with one of his top rising stars. Um, you know, well, biggest pay per view of the year. Yeah, but at least they got the finish right because 
Razor Ramon won, granted it was via inside cradle after Backlund dropped him with the most ridiculous atomic drop I've maybe ever seen. That atomic drop looked terrible. It was like Razor Ramon didn't know how to, like, I don't know where the disconnect here was, but, like, those hip tosses were weird. Yeah. Like, Razor, it, it just looked, I'll put it this way. Bob Backlund, if you, so when we do our uh, wrestling math, Bob Backlund, his look is like a two. Yeah. He did, he literally that's part of his gimmick. Back in the seventies, that was his gimmick is just all American dude, right? So he was the most NPC generic creator wrestler guy. He was not totally. even credit. He was what you start out with with creator wrestling. Yeah, it's default. It's default. He's default, right? Yeah. I mean, heck of an actual wrestler. Yeah, yeah. I think he's, I think he's a pretty highly decorated amateur wrestler. Exactly. Yeah. So good for him. Um, and some of his crazy stuff from like '94, whenever they put the title on him. Yeah, with was, was kind of cool. It was, yeah. it was kind of interesting. I like that stuff. He was a weird guy. It's great. But, like, him in just a regular wrestling match with a big beef dude like Scott Hall, it just didn't look like it makes – it didn't make – it didn't look like it made any sense I will say for Scott it, Hall to be hip-tossed by this little guy. Oh, no, it doesn't. And I, and maybe part of the, the awkwardness on, on Scott Hall's cell was just the height difference. It, that's what it felt There's like. at least probably six inches difference in height. It's, it was almost like, you know, like the matches of like uh, Kenny Omega or Kota Bushi having a match with like a blow-up doll. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that. Like you're, you're selling for something that is that just doesn't make any sense for you to be selling yeah. for. Yeah, but hats off to Scott Hall for oh, trying his yeah. damnedest no, to, to make Backlund look good. Oh, he was great. Because it made, made it seem like that uh, he, he kind of pulled a fast one on Backlund getting the win with an inside cradle. Mm-hmm. Even though Razor Ramon was over. He was supposed to be a heel. Crowd was cheering for him. Yeah, he was supposed to be a bad guy, but the, the crowd loved him. I mean, how can you not love? That was one Razor of those Ramon. things where it was just, uh, you know, it was, it was obvious that they had to turn him face. Yep. Which I think they did shortly after. Yep. Uh, man, he was good. He was. Next, we had a Money Inc. interview. Ted DiBiase, Erwin Arshyster. Uh DiBiase, man, he was great in the mic. What? Quick. Scott Hall stayed around. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he'd still have the name Razor Ramon. Mm-hmm. Would he have still worn the? Because he, I mean, you know, purple, purple and bright green. They're not exactly Attitude Era type colors. Would he have switched no. up his gear to tone it down? He to had like, other colored gear. He had black and he had yellow black and red. With yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, like you know, the razors on it were kind of goofy. Like Attitude Era was all about like you know he might have done. You know, his outsiders gear looked like. Uh, uh, blood dripping off the, yeah. the waistband. It could do something like that. I wonder that. if he would have adopted that if they would have yeah. had like a, a aesthetic change. A yeah, bit. yeah, I would think so. Could be. I think so. Uh, next Money Inc. interview, IRS and DiBiase. DiBiase I if he was great on the, the mic. accent. Sorry, I don't mean to harp on this, but I am kind of curious because like superficial, like he's Scott Hall is great. He's yeah. great, but like Razor Ramon, the accent just always sounded a little awkward. You know what they might have done. Mm. Uh, you know, because Razor Ramon apparently in some uh, manner was supposed to be uh, inspired by uh, Tony Montana from Scarface. What if they went a little deeper into that? So he started wearing like white suits. Oh, like Naito does now. yeah, yeah, Coming yeah. Coming in that. That'd been kind of Oh, that could be kind of cool. Because his promos were so good just as himself. Yeah. I just like looking back at his Razor Ramon promos after you know him as Scott Hall and like how good he was on the mic mm-hmm. and then listening to him do an accent like oh, this. Know. Yeah, I know. It's like, dude, are you going to like attitude or would he have dropped that if he had stayed around? I, I wonder. I, I just kind of wonder. I mean, if they hadn't gone to WCW, who knew, who knows how yeah. the attitude era would have even happened. Yeah. Uh, Money Inc. interview, IRS, DiBiase, DiBiase, brilliant on the mic. IRS, not as much. Um, but uh, he did it in a roundabout way, take credit for Hulk Hogan's eye injury which we'd see later on more or less saying money can buy a lot of things, including uh, assaulting your opponent 
the night before at the gym. <laughs> he put a hit out on Hogan's eye. Yeah, that was weird. Um, led us to a tag title match, Money Inc., taking on the Megalomaniacs. Sorry, the Megamaniacs, Hulk Hogan and Brutus Beefcake. Yeah. This is so. I've paused this theory God, several so times. So many notes for this match. It's too. an overbooked disaster. It's a crap match. Um, uh, I've paused this theory several times, and granted, it needs more, more research. We need to do a legit, well-produced yeah, video. But based on the sample size of WrestleMania 9, how in the hell is Hulk Hogan considered a face? And th- I'm just basing on this match. I'm not, even talk- I'm not getting to his interview he does later on yet. Oh, jeez. I'm just talking about this match. Yeah. He threatens a ref several times. Yeah. He pokes his opponent in the eye. He uses a foreign object, the, the, uh, the mask. mask. He punches his opponent with a closed fist. That's breaking the rules. And several times he does it, he puts his opponent in the headlock, shields <laughs> the contact from the referee so he can punch him. Yeah. Those are heel maneuvers. Dude, it's... it's and then Hulk Hogan is a heel. And then his manager has like a, an emergency referee jacket going on there. He just tossed that on, and they were supposed to win the titles, and then somehow they're DQ'd. Yeah, this match was a mess. It it's an absolute sense. disaster. So let's go through it. Uh, Money Inc. attacks right at the bell, but uh, Hogan and Beefcake clear the ring immediately. And after this is when Hogan starts threatening the you ref. No, it's, it's the ego of Hogan. It's simply the ego of Hogan that he can get away with anything, and people will still love him. It's the ego of people who if have— you really look at it, if you have, really investigate. Yeah, man. He is a bastard. When, when you have so much power right here, when you have all the power, you can get away with almost anything and people will still adore you. And yeah, bastard is what a the right bastard. word. What a bastard. Uh, anyways, uh, the mega maniacs have the upper hand. Money Inc. said, we're out of here. And then Earl Hebner takes it upon himself to say, well, if... You leave and you get counted out, you will lose the titles, Money Inc. Hebner's way too much, dude. Hebner's he way too much. He doesn't have the authority to do that. He doesn't Where's have Jack Tunney? Jack Tunney needs to make that ruling, not Earl yeah, Hebner. Dude. So anyways, they get back to the ring. Uh, uh, IRS starts choking Hogan with a rope while Ted DiBiase distracts the ref. See, those are outwardly heel maneuvers. Yeah. But if Hogan is, is being a heel and getting away with it, why can't Money Inc. be a heel too? Yeah. Be heels too. Yeah. You know? Um, uh, DiBiase puts Hogan in the million dollar dream and it, he's in the hole and he's kind of fighting it a little bit you and I are talking engaging with chat it feels like f- three or four minutes go by I turn the TV back to the TV and Hogan is still like just getting on his knees <laughs> selling that million dollar dream yeah a third of this match I felt like was it a million was, dollar it dream it really was yeah um, and then uh, after about yeah five minutes Hogan tries to hulk out fails and this is really confusing so at this moment, when DiBiase obviously has the upper hand, it seems like Hogan might be on the verge of passing out. Mm-hmm. IRS comes in the ring and distracts the ref, <laughs> right, allowing yeah. Beefcake to go in there, knock DiBiase off Hogan, and apply a sleeper on DiBiase. I don't understand that at all. Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make a lick of sense. While they were booking this match, who said, okay, now that DiBiase has Hogan where he wants him, we should have IRS come in and, and distract mess the ref. everything up. Okay, tell us why. Because we need Beefcake to come in. Because Beefcake needs his moment. No, 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 no. Why would he do that, though? So Beefcake can do his, his can have his moment. Brother. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Hogan was one booking this. Yeah. Um, so both Hogan and DiBiase are down the mat. Because and, they're bad guys, brother. Yeah. Um, uh, Beefcake gets the hot tag. He comes in. He bounces off the ropes. DiBiase hits him in the back of the briefcase. 
And then he takes off this apparently uh, titanium platinum face mask. like foam. I know. That Beefcake was wearing because he got crushed in the face with the the briefcase like on Raw or something. Or Super Rawgate Report. Yeah, no, Rawgate Report, totally. Um, And then Beefcake puts IRS in the sleeper. DiBiase hits a double axe handle off the top rope or middle rope. uh, And that drives IRS into the ref. We get a ref bump. Um, I always love Hebner's ref bumps. Because he falls and you can just see his legs go way up in the I know, air. It's great. I know. He's really good at that. Um, Hogan comes in. He hits uh, DiBiase and IRS with the face mask. Hebner's still out. Um, Jimmy Hart gets in the ring. He takes off his jacket, turns it inside out. He has like referee stripes print. Zero authority. The lining of his jacket. He, Zero he gets down authority. there. He counts the pinfall. And apparently Hogan and Beefcake are the new tag champions. Uh, ref Danny Davis comes down. He wakes up to Hebner. He waves off the decision, saying, uh, uh, no, doesn't count. <laughs> saying, that guy is not a ref. So, no, that doesn't count. And on top of that, by the way, Hogan and Beefcake are DQ'd, match over. Uh, they, those dudes get to keep their titles. Yeah. It was a DQ, right? It wasn't like a Yeah, it was a DQ. It was a DQ. Okay, yeah, it was a DQ. And then Hogan threatens that ref. Yeah, and then uh, in order to keep himself from getting suspended, I guess, that's what commentary was saying, uh, Jimmy Hart is the one who then grabs the ref and throws him overboard. The ref takes a big bump outside. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then they all probably – oh, yeah, they post. And they, they get the Raw Gate Report briefcase, and mm-hmm. inside is not Raw Gate Report, but a bunch of obviously tax documents because of IRS. Uh, there's a bunch of cash money, and, and there's a brick – which Hogan's like, oh, yeah, they were going to use this, brother. Yeah. And then he starts giving the cash away, poses a lot. Beefcake. They dance. Beefcake. Yeah, they, str- they, they do, do the, the Fargo, Fargo strut, strut. Kind of. And Beefcake is insistent on like. Making Hogan do it, too. I mean, Beefcake, it's just, it's too, it's just too much. I mean, how much can you debase yourself if you're Beefcake? You know, like, I get that Hogan, like, you're Hogan's right or die. I mean, he, 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 he was cool. Changed his name, his kayfabe name, to The Disciple. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. That I remember. Yeah. <laughs> that I remember. He looked so weird at that point. Yeah, he had that beard. He looked so weird. Like Jim weird. Morrison. He did. Uh, after that, Todd Pet- Pettengill uh, interviews uh, Natalie Cole. Boy, Todd Pettengill was useless. Who was uh, sitting ringside, apparently. Um, she was enjoying the show. And then uh, opposite side of him was the CEO of Caesars Palace. And he was saying, we've had a lot of events here. Uh, none of them has matched the enthusiasm we've seen here in this building today. Yeah, his face. I mean, I know he had that boating accent. Yeah, yeah. His face legitimately looks different. He had those, he had sunglasses on all the time, too. Yeah, I mean, here he is. Yeah, that's how I remember him. I mean, he does, I'll be honest, he does actually look cooler as Disciple. Oh, yeah, Than he, he did, like, here. Yeah. Like, he's got a decent head of hair. He's got a good-looking beard. Yeah, the beard looks nice. The glasses work for him. He looks I like mean, he's in good shape. Bandanas are always cool, too. Yeah. You know, Hogan never, like, he never... If they were really friends, Hogan would have like politic to get him an IC title, something like. They hey, might have. He might have been a tag champion at one point. Like, let him move up the ranks. Let him branch off away from just being Hogan's sidekick. I mean, if if Hogan can get his nephew, who apparently couldn't wrestle at all, yeah, some 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 road dates, you'd think maybe right. Beefcake. Yeah, he was a tag champ with Greg Valentine. Oh, okay, one well, time. That's good. That's good. Anyways, I don't know, man. I don't know. It's a mess. Anyways, they throw a bunch of money in the audience and they leave. Yeah. That's that's technically theft right there. Oh, totally. oh, yeah. So, anyways, yeah. Natalie Cole, then CEO of Caesar's Palace, 
who says, oh, we've never had this kind of energy in a room like this before. This is a great event. We're making lots of money off this. You know how many people have lost their life savings and killed themselves here, right here in the mm-hmm. MGM Grand? Probably a lot. Uh, moving on. Mr. Perfect gave an interview. God, I love him so much. Oh, man, he was great. Even he messed like, up his lines. He's brilliant. Oh, man. He was just so much fun. He was so much fun. I mean, Gene obviously loved him. Mm-hmm. They probably go back a long ways to the AWA. Yep. After that, we had Lex Luger, the the narcissist. You love this. I love this. He came out with some, mm, oh, just dead sexy valets. Of course, he's dead sexy himself. Weird face. But, man, that body was great. Came yeah. Out, I think there were some studs with him, too. Yeah. Then they all line of just amazing-looking women from the 90s, early 90s. Yeah. They all showed like mirrors to him. They had pyrotechnics in the top. That had pyro mi- pyro mirrors, man. Yeah. Oh, well, that's least, great. It was like sparklers, but still, it was pyro. And he like started showcasing his immaculate body. It's great. But he had like the warmest face. He, he did. Looked so friendly. There's he nothing threatening or menacing face. about him whatsoever. I love. Lex he's supposed Luger. to be a bad guy. I think he's great. He didn't project menace whatsoever. He doesn't need to project menace. He has the bionic elbow. That's menacing enough for him. I guess him. so. Yeah, man. Uh, so, anyways, we had this match. Um, I like the story of this. I, I didn't get to this part in the podcast, but you said that uh, they had this, uh, Mr. Perfect had this match worked out. Yeah, but you can't really tell. Oh, I know. So here's the story. Well, sorry, here, there's, yeah. there, there might be a pivot point where you can tell. So the story is, is that Luger in his book said that uh, working with Mr. Perfect was great because he more or less had the day off because he'd work the match out perfect, would know all the spots, and he would call the whole match in the ring. And so, you know, he'd just do what he says, and it's easy. Um, well, apparently, what a testament to a guy. I know. Well, apparently, uh, at some point during this match, uh, Mr. Perfect forgot what they were supposed to do. But there's, there's like the beginning of the match is really crisp. Yeah. And there's like a couple of moments where they're facing each other and there's some hesitancy. Mm-hmm. And from that point on, it doesn't feel as crisp. However, if they were calling this on the fly, they managed to tell a decent story. Yeah. With a uh, 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 perfect working over Luger's leg. And Luger working over Mr. Perk's back. Yeah. They still managed to find a story to tell and pull yeah. it off. Yeah. And it worked. No, I thought it did too. I thought it was a pretty decent match. I mean, Mr. Perfect is, it's funny too, because like when you, you know, the big thing about Mr. Perfect when they were building him up is, you know, he's the most athletic guy. Yeah. And what's so funny about Perfect is that he's deceptively athletic. Like when you take one look at him, you take one look at HBK, it's like, oh, that guy's athletic. That guy yeah, can yeah. do some stuff. Yeah. Mr. Perfect. Yeah, I mean, he, he's in great shape. But then you see him flying around the you ring. You don't expect the spring. You don't. No. The spring, that's exactly right. Those drop kicks, like him moving around the ring. He did a, 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 a leapfrog at one point over Luger. Yeah. And it was effortless, and he got some pretty decent height off the oh, ground, man. Oh, man, no, it was great. Yeah, he's great. Mr. Perfect yeah, was great. He really was. One of my favorites. He was perfect. He was. He executed every move perfectly. Perfectly. Uh yeah, but if they cobbled together this match, uh, it wasn't it wasn't that bad. Um, at one point Luger goes for a pin, puts his feet on the rope, ref spots it, perfect hits the top rope drop kick, goes for a pin. Luger gets his foot on the rope. See, there's a story here: feet on ropes. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Lex uh, reverses a, a backslide attempt from Perfect to his own backslide, gets the pin, but Mister Perfect's feet were in the ropes during the pinfall. Um, after Luger wins, he lays out Mr. Perfect with a forearm. Mm-hmm. They're saying he had like a steel plate in it or something like that. <laughs> that was a story. The, the controversial forearm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then uh, after Perfect comes to, 
He goes backstage looking for Luger, finds him near some storage shed. But Luger is talking to HBK. Yeah, so after Perfect lays out Luger, HBK joins in and starts throwing garbage cans at uh, Mr. Perfect. Yeah, head. the first garbage can like nailed him right in the head. Yeah. It looked awkward. It did look awkward. Um, but yeah, it was great because HBK was just wearing jeans. And boots. Uh, and over cowboy the jeans. boots. Over the jeans. Over the though. jeans, yeah. He had the jeans tucked into the boots. He was ready for street fight. He really was. He just needs some elbow pads. Totally. Uh, next. Ugh. Giant Gonzalez taking on The Undertaker. This match is atrocious. So let's talk about Giant Gonzalez for a second. All right. Um, why was why was his gimmick giant naked guy? With, I don't know. Like, with micro dick. On the, the Pritchard show, he just said um, the, the creative services team just drew up a bunch of uh, options for gear. And that was the one Vince Why liked. would anybody had thought, had thought, hey, what, let's pitch him a giant fucking naked dude Doesn't make any with sense. a micro dick. And you can see the entire butt crack. You can, like, literally the butt crack is, is airbrushed. airbrushed on, yeah. Like, you have all this musculature that's airbrushed on and, like, fake hair. And thick bush. And thick bush that goes from navel down to front area. How is that? It's, it's biz- like, it's bizarre to me that that's acceptable. It's bizarre to me that anybody looked at that and was like, giant naked dude with micro. That's good. The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie. And we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews. But now, we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Because, like, the dick is covered by the bush. Yeah, I know. Otherwise, you're naked. Why don't you just do what they should have done? If they want to do that. Shoot naked. Shoot naked. Well, no, I was going to say do that, then just have the whole like uh, 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 area from front area to rear end just covered in a thicket of hair. Yeah, right. Yeah. Just have hair all over. Yeah. So I was like, okay, even the butt's covered with hair. All right, it's just like super hairy. It's weird, though. It's weird regardless. It's fucking weird. It's messed up. It is messed up. Yeah. I don't know how this ever got approved, but. Why didn't this big dude just have a singlet? Just give him a big old singlet. Because, like, like, look, if you look at him. I'm not going to start drawing comparisons to Andre the Giant, but you've got this giant human being in there. It worked for Andre. They did it later on. I with, think they probably didn't want to because he was he, while he was tall, he was thin. Yeah. And it would probably call attention how thin he was. Oh, yeah. And that's probably why they had the bodysuit with the airbrush muscles on it. That could be. I don't know, man. It was messed up. Yeah, it was not good. Just not good at all. He should wear what Eddie Dennis wears now. <laughs> Basketball shorts. Yeah. And a tank top. 
Um, that's good. Uh, yeah, boring ass match too. Hell yeah, just because Giant Gonzalez couldn't move, like he would just sort of mill about. And the Pritchard show, uh, Conrad asked him, "So uh, when do you realize that it was a mistake signing Giant Gonzalez?" And Pritchard said, "When the bell rang." Yeah, yeah. And Pritchard's the guy who recruited him too. Mm-hmm. I think wasn't mm-hmm. he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was him and somebody else. Oh no, he was big on. I'm thinking of when he was talking about Yoko. Oh yeah, you're right. It was when yeah. I was yeah, yeah when yeah, he was yeah, talking sorry. about Yoko, he recruited him. Yeah, he he liked uh, Yoko with, a lot. So they knew about Gonzalez in in WCW, and Vince apparently didn't like him. But then when he came, became a free agent, he was like, oh, "I'll see what I can do with." Him. Yeah, the answer um, not a whole lot. Yeah, he couldn't move. Yeah, and then his bumping was terrible. Yeah, his selling like, didn't was he have terrible. like one bump in the match. Yeah, and after, after the match, after the match had ended. Yeah. yeah, and Undertaker basically had to push him over. Yeah, so yeah, it was an Undertaker match. Yeah, um, uh, but. Pretty much, Undertaker didn't take any bumps either till they were outside, and he got started getting thrown into the ring steps. Yeah, there wasn't a whole lot of bumps in this match. Yeah, which I guess if the story is two giants doing battle and neither one to give in, makes sense. Yeah, this wasn't terribly well executed. Anyways, towards the end, after the Undertaker got tossed into the ring steps a couple of times, uh, uh, Harvey Whippleman, who was Giant Gonzalez's manager, throws a towel into the ring. Giant Gonzalez takes a towel, shoves it in the Undertaker's face. It's got chloroform. And there, yeah, commentary ringside is like, "What's that smell?" Oh, I can smell. What's that smell? It smells like chloroform. I can smell it from here. The chloroform. Uh, Bill Alfonso, who was refereeing this match, prior to his managerial duties for Sabu, um, calls for the bell. Undertaker wins by DQ. Um, Giant Gonzalez choke slams Bill Alfonso. Um, they put the Undertaker on a stretcher and they take him to the back. Mm-hmm. He's back there for maybe 30 seconds. Dong! Dong! Um, he stumbles back out to the ring. He takes down the giant, or Giant Gonzalez, after three clotheslines. The third one, the jumping one, where he basically has to shove Giant Gonzalez over for him to yeah. take that bump. Yeah. And then that's it. They had another match at SummerSlam. A rest in peace match like for Undertaker 1. I like they thought, yeah, it's four months later. Let's, Let's revisit again. this. Let's do this again. It went so well the first time. We've had four months to think about how terrible this match is. Let's do another one. Oh, dear. Okay, so next up, we got a Hulk Hogan interview where he drops a horrible racist slur in referring to Yokozuna. So that was awesome. Sure, that, that, that hadn't been heel. horribly, horribly inappropriate for decades. He was a heel. He was a heel. Is. After that, we had our main event, Yoko's yeah. Universe of Bret Hart. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Uh, <laughs> the story behind this is so... There's so much so to sad. unwrap. It's it's so sad Like to, to listen again to the Pritchard podcast where they talk... They uh, Conrad reads an excerpt uh, at a Bret Hart's book about this where he talks about... Um, uh, how he found out he got he, he came into Vegas with his family. Uh, with his family. Uh, Vince wanted to have a meeting with him. Sat him down and said, this is the deal. Uh, Yokozuna is going to win, and then uh, Hogan's Hogan going to win after that. The title off him in about ten seconds later, and uh, Bret Hart was like, "What the hell?" And he's like, "What did I do wrong? Like, I thought things were going good. I think I've been, I thought I've been doing a good job." And Vince is like, "Oh, we're just going in a different direction." Um, but you know, being the professional he is, Bret Hart put together a really, really great match, according to him, uh, where he said, "You know, I still wanted to have a good match, and I wanted to show, you know, Vince." Um, what he was missing out on by, you know, ditching me as champ. And, uh, and he said, I put most of the good stuff in the last minute of the match. 
even though this was actually a decent match Best of thought where Harry got Yokozuna down pretty early on was pretty creative. A smaller guy trying to chop down this big giant guy. I thought it was a very creative match. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, and so he said, so he, but he said that, you know, the finish was really, really hot the way he laid it out. And then, uh, Yokozuna apparently just took it upon himself to, well, he said he was blown up. He was exhausted. Yeah. And said, all right, we got to go home. He called yeah. the finish early. He yeah. called the finish early. And Brett's like, what? I can't even do like the stuff, the cool stuff. So I wonder what that cool stuff was. Yeah, we'll never know. Man. No, here's a real story from the Pritchard podcast is why they decided to put that belt on Hogan again. Oh, this was hilarious. This is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, so uh, the decision was made to put the belt on Hogan. Um, and uh, it seems to be depending on, it seemed to be for a variety of reasons. Well, even preceding that, the reason why they why Vince had wanted to pull the trigger on Bret Hart being a champion was because he was huge in Europe. He was really, really big in Europe, and he felt that they, you know they could they could build around that. And, and he was getting really good ways to translate that here in the states. Yeah. He was yeah he was getting really big responses. So so his customary still this day. There's usually a European tour after Mania, um, and so the idea was to put the strap on Hogan. It's kind of like a final hurrah. He'll do one last round of shows in Europe. He'll drop it at King of the Ring to ninety three in uh, King of the Ring ninety three. That apparently from the get go was the plan, um, despite what Brett has said. Um, according to Pritchard, that was the plan. Mm-hmm. Um, issue is, so at first they had already sold the tickets for the United Kingdom shows directly following Mania, like the week after. Yeah, they already had the gate. They know how much money they were going to charge. For, yeah, they already, they already made for it. Tickets are sold. Tickets are sold. People know what they're getting. And so when Bruce said, "Oh yeah, we put the belt on so we can we could raise prices for the European shows." And, and and make more money. And the comrade's like, hold on. Tickets were sold. You had the gate already. Yeah. No, that's BS. And then Pritchard said, well, no, we had, we did to, to add value to the tour. And the comrade's like, well, which one is it? <laughs> right. But nonetheless, it, and Conrad's reasoning is spot on in my mind. If And I understand because Bruce said, well, Hogan, while Brett was popular, Hogan was still more popular. I understand that. You can have... If you want to add value to the tour, you can still have Hogan on the tour. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be champion. Right. It yeah. doesn't have to be champion. Yeah. Nonetheless, th- it doesn't matter because Hogan wasn't even on the tour. Yeah. He wasn't yeah. on the tour. Yeah. He didn't, he didn't do the Europe- a European tour until after he dropped the belt to Yokozuna mm-hmm. in July and August. That's yeah. when the, the European tour he was on uh, happened. Yeah. yeah so the rationale yeah. about him having the belt for this Euro- European tour, I mean, Bruce, his recollection to the best of his ability might be correct. But uh, if that's the reason they did it, it never happened. It, Conrad, I think Conrad started to get to the truth of it when he said, okay, so here's the deal. Would it be accurate to say, and Bruce totally like shrugged it off, but it, this, sounds, this makes sense if you think about it. Vince was probably charmed by Hogan, who wanted one last run and some more paydays, which he literally said in his own book. Yep. And Vince having probably the softest of places – Vince had a soft spot for Bob Backlund. He put him in WrestleMania. Yeah. Vince had the ultimate soft spot for Hulk Hogan. And on top of that, he probably wanted to try one last hurrah for Hogan for a company that was going through some big changes. Yeah. And Hogan probably was right on board with it. It's probably politicking, politicking. Mm-hmm. And and so he came up with the excuse after the fact, well, we're going to give the European tour added value. That makes some semblance of sense. But it was just, it it, it was, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, 
I mean, uh, Bruce at least did say, you know, in hindsight, probably should have kept the belt on Yokozuna. It's true. Yeah, I don't, I mean, honestly, like, would it have, I mean, would it have, I don't know how much it would have mattered, you know? I oh, mean, no, not in the long run, but I mean, this episode here, this happened after the Yokozuna Bret Hart match is, is is kind of universally derided as a pretty true. low point. Yeah, ab- in absolutely, and it, and it did. It made Bret Hart look terrible. Yeah, it really did. And I mean, he regained it because you know by the next year he was beating Yokozuna in the yeah, yeah, yeah. WrestleMania. Yeah. But it it was yeah it was it was kind of crap. It was it was definitely crap. Although it made for a, a hilarious like when you watch it, it's so bad it's funny to watch. It is. It really is. It's it's it's, it's awful. And, and hearing Brett talk about or hearing Conrad talk about Brett's book, talking about um, how he felt like completely and totally like dejected, but still a professional doing his job. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's it is absolutely a wonder. Like I think was it? God, what was the last thing? When was he? When was he negotiating? Oh, it was ninety-two. So yeah, he was probably just in the middle of a, probably a lengthier contract with WWF at this point, because it was prior to the ninety-two Rumble that oh, Brett was yeah. secretly negotiating. Yeah, allegedly, but then there was like something, something in the contract rolled over. Yeah, yeah. So he had probably signed an extension mm-hmm. or signed a new contract just prior to this. So he was probably stuck. Mm-hmm. Because, man, if you get dicked over like this, how do you not just say, screw you, I'm out of here? Yeah, I know. You know, because that's crap. Yeah. That is crap. Yeah. Um, towards the end of the match, uh, Yokozuna has Brett kind of in his arms. Brett's holding on the, the uh, turnbuckle cover, the top one, to try to, you know, stay away from Yokozuna. Yokozuna's too strong. He pulls Brett away from the ropes. But in the process, Brett pulls the top turnbuckle cover off. Um, Brett then drives Yokozuna's face into the turnbuckle, uh, dropping him. He puts uh, Yokozuna in the sharpshooter, um, and then uh, Mr. Fuji grabs a, a handful of powder, throws it in Brett's face. Yokozuna covers him for a win. Um, first time a heel seemingly ended WrestleMania's champion. Yeah, yeah. But then, like, literally, the he next camera... there. The next camera shot, Hogan's already in the ring. Man, that's either the fastest he's ever run, or he was just so... <laughs> Eager to get in there. Oh, man. He was hiding under the ring or something. He was jacked to get in oh, there, dude. Oh, my gosh. He was so hyped to get so in there. So, apparently, Hogan, we've covered this several times. Hogan's out there to protest this massive injustice. Um, and then Mr. Fuji gets on the mic and says, Hogan, I think essentially Yokozuna is going to prove that he is the best. Get in here. Let's have a match. And Hogan seems seems more concerned about Brett having powder thrown in his eyes. And then Fuji says, we'll even put the title on the line. And then Hogan, his ears go up. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh. And Brett, poor Brett, has to be the one that validates it. Go ahead, Hogan, He's, do it. Not only is he getting screwed royally in front of everybody, he has to sit there and, ex- and, and, and give him the green light. I philosophically am okay with this, Hogan. Yeah. Go do it. Go get the title that we all know belongs to you. Yeah. Yeah. So... Hogan gets in there. The bell didn't even ring, I don't think. F- Fuji tries to throw the powder in Hogan's face. Hogan ducks, goes in Yokozuna's face. A clothesline and a leg drop later, Hogan is the champion. Yeah. By the way, that clothesline, Yokozuna sold so much more than any of Brett's. Probably because he uh, Any of Brett's. Hogan had a conversation with him backstage. Probably did. Brother. I, lo- I like you, brother. Yeah, I'm, no. never gonna, I'm never going to job that so big squeak, Brett Between Hart, Mania... And King of the Ring. What, three appearances? Uh, there was more, but they were all tag matches. Ha-ha! 
He did not have a he did not have a title defense between Mania and the King of the Ring. So for two months, he won it and then he lost it. There was no title defense in between. No. Nope. Oh, that's crazy. He was in a bunch of ho- uh, tag matches at house shows, eight to be exact. And then he dropped the belt, and then he was in uh, another tag match on Wrestling Challenge, and then I believe that was his last televised appearance in WWF until he came back in the two thousands. He was on the this European hey, house show tour. Hey, scroll back down. The Great Muda one. Yeah. Was it? Oh, March. Oh, that was March. Okay. Yeah. No, that was that was May. Oh, May. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. May third. So then he goes to New Japan. So he's he his lot he was was that the, remember the promo where he talks about being Ichiban? Yeah. Was that ninety three? It might have been. Was it was that in advance of that man? That's crazy. Oh, I know. Saying that WWF title was just a stepping stone. I thought that was after. I thought that was after King of the Ring. Oh, it could have been. Well, yeah, but did he go back to New Japan? Yeah, he, he did. Uh, okay, in, in, in September. In September. I'm kind of curious about that now. What the date on it is? Um, the, the the date, date of the, the promo. promo. Yeah. yeah. He's sitting like in a luxury box or something. Yeah, no, I remember. Oh, here we go. Let's see if there is a date on this. You click the... Oh, it's not a link. Here we go. Let's see if there's a date on it. Ah! Oh, bogus. What? It was 93. That it, mm-hmm, I think that's yeah. the only... Well, no, there's the, the G1 Climax specials that he could have been on. Oh, here we go. This is a stepping stone. What month was this? Oh, here we go. Muda. Yeah, it was the Muda match. Yeah, so he actually was champion. Man. Wow. That's interesting. And I think he had initially denied that he, I mean, I I had read somewhere, and I'm not going to say this is for sure, but he had denied that he had ever cut that promo. But, like, you can never. Yeah. Is he wearing, oh, if he's wearing the title there. Because I know he had the title in the promo. Yeah, he did. But I figured he probably just owned a title anyways. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great Muda versus Hulk Hogan. Yeah, dude. Crazy. Yeah. This here says that that awkward moment when you realize that Hulk Hogan actually knows how to be a technical grappler. I wonder if this is, like, a great match. <laughs> yeah, who knows? Oh, I saw an arm bar. I know, me too. Oh, look at what's going to happen here. We should do a tape trade on this. Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. We'll save our our reactions for a shoot reaction. There we go. Uh, So, yeah, anyways, uh, he left. And then you'll never see a bigger celebration from one man. Just, it's like, dude, like he was so excited for himself. Beaming. Beaming. Man. The crowd was going crazy, too. Yeah. I'm not going to say crazy. They were excited. Everybody likes a big, ooh. People like a moment. They like a moment, yeah. Yeah. But uh, but no, nobody was going crazier than Hulk Hogan. He was very yeah. excited. He was trying that. to internalize it the best he could, but you know, he could only do so much. Yeah. Then at one point, he was like pointing at somebody. I'm assuming he's Yokozuna, but he was like, I told you, brother, I'm the man. And it's like, he really meant that for Brett, mm-hmm. probably. Mm-hmm. So anyways, WrestleMania 9, worst ever, maybe. Not a good show. 
It's not a good show, but it's bad. It's bad it good. Bad. It's bad. It is bad. Yeah, I'll give you that. It is bad. But it's not boring. No, that's true. So at least there's that. Um, I recommend if you're going to watch it, watch it with some friends yeah. so you can talk shit because there's a lot of good shit talking in there. There is. There is. Anyways, uh, we did receive. I'm actually waiting on it, so hopefully it's in here. If it's not, I'm just going to cut this out. Uh, it's the one year anniversary of the Friendoverse. Oh, yeah. On Facebook. Which is a terrific group. Yes, it is. Started by our friendo Mikey Omega. He reached out a year ago and said, hey, fan of the show, uh, wondering if you'd be okay with uh, us starting a community sort of, you know, based around that. And you guys promote a little bit if you guys. And so I looked him up. He seemed really cool. And sure enough, uh, I'm a big fan of the guy. Yeah. And his group, it's like 3,500 strong or so. It's and fantastic. It is yeah. literally the only reason why I still have Facebook is the friend of verse group because I really do enjoy sort of dipping in every once in a while and seeing the conversations that go on. It's a very positive group. If anybody's it's, this is like, this is how utopia works, man. If you're, if you're a dick, you get kicked out, <laughs> you know, you're not allowed in. Yeah. Um, it's very heavily moderated to ensure that the people who are there having active, positive conversations can do that. Yes. Uh, and, uh, he recorded a little video. Oh, cool. Uh, so we'll run it right now. Hey friendos, Mikey Omega here. How's it going? What's up? Long time no see. Um, <clears throat> I'm currently on my porch right now. It's cold and it's rainy out in Texas. Um, so I'll try and make it quick. Um, my dogs are freaking out at the door over here. They want to come hang out. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to take a second and uh, make this video to let you guys know that we're celebrating the one year anniversary of the creation of the Friendoverse. Um, it's awesome. I didn't imagine this was ever going to work out the way it did. It's great. Um, so thanks to y'all for uh, doing what you've done. Um, I remember a year ago when I started this group complaining to my girlfriend about how much I hated other Facebook groups, or at least other Facebook wrestling groups that I encountered. And they were all you know, just full of trolls, shitty, really toxic places um, that I never felt comfortable, never felt like I had a voice in. I was like, man, we should start this group. And it'd be cool because even if we get like maybe just 100 people, It'll make, you know, the crappy episodes of Raw so much easier to tolerate. And then it'll make, like, the fun ones so much more fun because we'll have all these people to hang out with. And I could never have imagined that we'd be where we are now 4,000 members later. Um, it's rad. Um, super appreciative. There's a car passing by. Um, yeah, I'm super appreciative of you guys. Um, uh I want to say thanks to everyone who um, has been in the group since the beginning uh, for bearing with me while I tried to figure out the best way to make this group as inclusive and as safe of a place for everyone who's into wrestling. Um, I know it was really tough there in the beginning for a little bit. Um, I want to thank all the new members. I just want to thank everybody. Thank everybody for um, helping maintain the positivity in this group. Um, for taking care of one another, for watching out for each other in this group. Um, and like I said, just, just keeping this place as positive and welcoming um, as it is. It's, it's amazing. Um, I know I get a lot of shit in the group for hating everything all the time, but I like you guys, and I like this group, and I like professional wrestling, and uh, thanks for helping to make this place the awesome place that it is that we can all hang out and yell about this imaginary sport that we love so much. Um, and thanks to Steven Larson for bringing us all together. Uh, so yeah, happy birthday, everybody. We did it. Here's to maybe 10 more years or something. I don't know. We'll see. I'm really cold. So uh, thanks guys. See you later.
Thanks so much for watching, everybody. Until next time, we'll talk to you guys later. Goodbye. Be a part of Going In Raw today at patreon.com forward slash Stephen Larson. Starting at $1 a month, you can enjoy Going In Raw ad-free, gain access to the daily 30-minute Going In Raw post-show, exclusive merchandise, and so much more. Support Going In Raw today. Click the link in the description. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find people that can help you for a big project or a small. Well, whether it's in everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality, it can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is answer that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish. Or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is. And it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.